This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. This week's title is this, Room for This. Say that with me. Room for This. Say it again. Room for This. So now we need to learn to kind of follow Jesus' example. You know, Jesus was an amazing leader who knew when he would die his whole life. He knew what was coming. He was prepared for the cross at the end of his story. In fact, he lived intentionally every day of his ministry. So he had a lot of options of what he could do when he got up in the morning, but he was intentional about how he handled his day. And the thing about Jesus is that from the moment he was public, he, he, he had a, a crowd around him. People were kind of trying to get into his schedule. If he would have had a phone, his phone would be going off with notifications. Everybody would be asking him questions. Can I get a moment with you, Jesus? You got five seconds. That's all I need. How I many know that five seconds would be awesome with Jesus face to face like that? So people were trying to crowd in on him. Somehow, somehow he had, a, he had an ability to stay focused and on purpose. Everybody else had an agenda for him. I mean, you know, that's kind of life right now. Everybody's trying to break into your world. They're trying to get you to buy this product and that product and go on a trip for that. You're getting notifications if you're a parent of all the things that you got to take your kids to and all the things you need to buy for them. And everybody's trying to uh, get you to conform to their agenda. But Jesus had an ability somehow with all that pressure to stay focused and stay living on purpose. He modeled a life of withdrawal to rest. He chose to make room for the Sabbath and for time with his father so that he could come out and he could live in peace with a busy schedule and it allowed him to stay on mission. I want you to know that every person, everyone in this room, everyone under the sound of my voice can live with purpose when we make room for the things that Jesus says are important. You can know peace in a busy world. You can discover Jesus' way. It was also called his kingdom. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, Emmanuel's mission statement is for everyone to know Jesus, grow together, and live with purpose. We want everyone to know Jesus, and that's why we have Salvation opportunities at the end of every single service. I want you to invite your friends every single week. You never know when they're gonna come, but I promise you, we'll give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus on a Sunday. We want everyone to grow together, and that's what we're doing in our groups, but we want us to live with purpose, to live and to think of our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. They have purpose in them. You know, God is interested in the rest of your week. We'll talk about that throughout all of this series. But I want you to now look at Jesus again and to consider how did he stay on mission? And just two days before he was crucified, Jesus turns to his disciples and he downloads information to his disciples. He's gonna leave and they're gonna have to live with purpose when he's gone. I mean, it's easy when he's there, it's different when he's gone. And he essentially says, this is the stuff I want you to consider. This is how I did it. And this is how you need to think about your life, everything that you are, in order for you to stay on mission just like I have these last three years. And I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 25. 
These are the famous last words of Jesus, in a sense. He was telling them of what to make room for in their life. And if you were told that this was your last year to live, how would you choose to spend your time differently? What would make you, uh, help you make room for things that somehow you haven't seemed to make room for or up until now? And Jesus tells a story, and I'll give you a little preview and then we'll read a little bit of the text. I'll bounce around a little bit. But essentially he tells the story of a master who gives three bags of money to three different servants. They're the master's money, but he says, I want you to take care of this, and then he goes on a trip, okay? Not all of them handled it the same way. It says in verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. The master, okay, so they, they all did different things, okay? So then the master returns, and in verse 21, it says, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant, as he's talking to the one that reproduced, if you will, and invested the bag of money. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with the bag of silver, verse 24, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate, and I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. This is an interesting story, and I, I, I'm not going to preach the whole message just around this text, but I want you to catch why was Jesus saying these things to his disciples and the people that were left behind? And I would suggest to you that Jesus shows us three things in this text. The first thing is this. Everyone is given something that they are responsible for. Everyone is given something that they're responsible for, whether it be the one, the three, or the five, or excuse me, the one or the two or the five. And so, whatever it is that you're given. So, you might be a one-bagger. You might be a two-bagger. You might be a three-bagger, four-bagger, five-bagger. It doesn't matter, but everybody is given something. And those bags of silver, the master owned, and he gave them to his servants. And the servants were responsible for the master's property, okay? And this is what the biblical word for stewardship is. Stewardship is the management of what belongs to another. I don't own it, but what do I do with it? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, it all is God's, amen? But the question is, what do you do with what you're given? Jesus, in the metaphor of the story, you have bags of money, but we are given time, we're given, everybody's given time, everybody is given some form of, of gifts and talents, 
and everyone is given some form of resources or, or treasure. And what have you been given? So in a sense, you need to understand this. Everyone is given something. Turn to the person next to you and say, he gave you something. <laughs> Secondly, the master evaluates what you do with what you're given. So he evaluates what you do with what you're given. This is not earning salvation, friends. Let me be very clear. We are saved by grace and nothing else, okay? We are saved by grace. But this is about what we invest, what we do with what he's given us. What do we do with that? It's an investment. How are you utilizing your time and your talent and your possessions for the master's benefit? See, God wasn't impressed with the amount that they had earned. He was moved by their heart to invest it. He was moved by what they did, not with the amount that they earned, but what they did with it. And it comes down to what you feed and what you starve. There are things that we feed in our lives and they grow. And there are other things that we starve and then we die. So we have a responsibility to do things with what he's given us. The third thing from this story was this. Faithfulness is how we receive more from the master. Faithfulness is how we receive more from the master. It says in verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. This is an interesting principle. Because in the rest of the world, in the rest the other kingdoms than Jesus' kingdom, there are other ways to get what you want. You steal, you manipulate, you do things. Some of us, we want to play the lottery to get rich. And by the way, don't be wrong. If you do play it and you win, you can tithe at this church. Come on, somebody. I'm all about that. That's, that's not a problem. Okay? Just want to be clear. All right? If there's a, somebody randomly gets it this week, we got some kingdom builders projects for you, missionaries, people we can take care of in our city. We'd love to do that, okay? I'm not, I'm not downsizing that, okay? But I also want to say this. When Jesus is telling the story, he's essentially telling us how we get promoted, how we get more. We don't get more by chasing more. We get more by being faithful to what we've been given, Amen. being a good steward of what we've already been given. Amen. And for you and I, we need to learn that, listen, God doesn't love people that have a five talent more than, or a bag of silver more than somebody that has one. He loves all of his kids. We talked about that last week. But what he wants to do is he wants us to be faithful, and once we're faithful, he says, I can give you more. So he measures our future based on what we do with what we have. That's a biblical principle hidden right in this story. Now I want you to see though that the goal is clear. Look at verse 21. It says the master was full of praise. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. His entire goal 
is to give you more, to see you grow, to mature. Did you know that God has bigger dreams for you than you have? That God has bigger dreams for your kids and your grandkids than you have? That God has bigger dreams for the impact you can make through the company or the responsibilities that you have? That God has a big dream for the school that you go to, bigger than you think, and he wants to grow it? And so he's looking for us to grow into that. And as soon as we prove faithful with some, then he wants to give us more in expansion. In this story, it's double. The person that had five got five more. Now they had 10. Within the same story, he says, give it to the person that has 10. Why? Because he's already doubled it. It's already happened. God wants to not just do little incremental handoffs. He wants to expand what it is that you're doing. He wants to do that. And then it says this. Let's celebrate together. Say that with me. Let's celebrate together. This is the coolest part. As Jesus tells the story, he's saying, the, the master said, You've done a lot. Let's celebrate this together. You know what it's implying? That God's whole plan is to deposit himself, our dreams, our talents, our resources in, in us. And then as we grow, he wants to grow with us. It's not like he's just going, hey, I'll see you, see you at the end of the age. I want to help you grow. So some people, they do really good. And they have an investment, they spend their time well, their money well, they, they're, they're great at what God has invested in them. And so God wants to celebrate with them, so he goes from five to ten. Woo! Let's have a party, all right? He's not done with the dream yet, but that whole step, he's into it. He's just as in with somebody who takes a step and falls down and it didn't work right. Because the Bible says that he's there in the lowest valley as well, and he won't abandon you. So even if you've taken a step back, things didn't work right, that business you tried to start failed, whatever it is, a marriage you tried to get in and it didn't work out, that step back, it's not like God is out. What he's doing is he's going, are you still in the journey with me? And so in the middle of the valley, he wants to come back in with you. And then when you take that next step and you begin to expand, you have the courage to face the future. You're excited about what God's got for you coming forward. You're not in your ultimate dream yet, but you've taken a step. Guess who's there having a party with you over that one step? Come on, somebody. He's with you the whole way. And not only that, ha, not only that, but by the time you've gone through year after year after year after year of faithfulness, your dreams change. You begin to think different as you walk with God. You begin to listen to the voice of the Spirit, and now instead of you just being a, a little seed that goes in the ground, becomes a treat with fruit. Now you're meant to feed the nations. The birds of the air come in and they feed from you and you're making a difference in your family, in your community around you. And you're thinking different. And by the time it comes to the point and nobody knows when the day comes when you're to go home and be with the Father. But when you stop, step across that threshold from this temporary life that we live in into the eternal real life, guess who's going to be there celebrating with you on the end. He's there all the way through the story. 
he was full of praise and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, I want to give you three considerations of how to make room for the most important things. How to make room for the most important things. The first one is this. Think about what you do have. Don't focus on what you don't have. Think about what you do have. Don't focus on what you don't have. I think one of the greatest challenges we face is when we look at our lives, we often think about what we don't have. And it's the first misstep. We are to think about and observe what we do have. Proverbs 27, 23, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. Know what you do have. This is a, about a shepherd looking over his flocks. When most people here today aren't shepherds. But a shepherd had responsibility for all of the sheep, the individual sheep and the condition of the flocks. And wisdom would say, know where your account is. Know where people are. Know how things are going. And for you and I, we need to examine, what do you have? Do you have friends? Do you have family? Do you have resources? What do you have? And to consider and look at what you do have. The devil wants you focused on what you don't have. Then you're never satisfied. You beat yourself up or you get jealous with somebody else. And now it becomes a root of evil in your story. So focus on what you do have. Jesus gives you whatever he's given you and he will grow it. Don't worry about what you don't have. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So I want you to look at the areas that you need to think about what you do have. The first one areas is time. Teach us the number of our days. Think about the days that we do have. There are 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week, 52 weeks in a year. You have time. Everybody's been given the same amount of time, but you do have time. And you have to fight to steward your time. On average, we spend three hours and 15 minutes a day on our phones. You could do a screen time test on your phone each week and discover what your screen time is. But you are using that time, whether it be seconds, minutes, or months. Some of you, you have already spent over 58 times in a day on your phone. Some of you have done that while I've been preaching. Some of you are looking at your fantasy football lineups and going, ooh, is my guy still playing or not? But you consider with time, we need to be present with what is important. Be present with what is important, physically and mentally. We need to be present with what is important. When I'm walking through my house and I've got family members around me, I have all kinds of things on this phone. I have emails, texts, social media, and each time something pops up, it's really important to me. And I might be listening to whoever's talking, but I'm looking at this. Am I present with that person? So this is where the challenge comes in. The challenge is, if we're going to focus on what is important and to make room for that, that in our time, we need to learn to cut out some things, change our behavior with our time, so that we can be fully present with what is most important. 
put the phone down. Put it down. You put the phone down, it can have a profound impact. But how many know it's hard? It's really hard. And we need to learn to pay attention to people with body language. When my kids were little and and I wanted them to listen to me, I'd be talking in their eyes, I'd be going all over, and I would say, listen to me with your eyes. I'd put their face in my hands and go, listen to me with your eyes. What was I saying? I was saying, hey, listen, in order to pay attention to what's important and be present, I have to not pay attention to something else. I have to lock in on what's most important. That could be your spouse, that could be your children, that could be the voice of the Spirit. I think this has replaced the voice of God in our lives sometimes. I think there are times when it's the greatest challenge. Used to be TV, now it's everything's on here. Used to be other things, and by the way, we have to fight to do that. We need to manage our rest. We need to take a Sabbath. I won't go far into this today, but I will say, when it comes to Sabbath, the biblical principle of Sabbath was one day of rest so that you could work six days. That's the biblical principle. Now, we do five days of work, sometimes it's six, and we can't wait because we want to get to the weekend and rest. That's actually opposite of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is when you totally do Sabbath, you have the strength to live in the work that God and the purposes God has given you. But when you don't Sabbath, you're tired out, you're worried, you're crabby with people, you're irritable. I mean, you know, the difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep, right? That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Set the priorities and the boundaries that you need in order to Guard your time. The second area, so time is one area that we have to think about. Second area is gifts and talents. The things that God has deposited in you. Remember when you were talking about being formed and shaped in your mother's womb? He was giving you your personality and your interests and all of who you are. Well, you are also planted into the body of Christ. When you become a Christian, the New Testament says that you are a part of the body. Not everybody is the same. Some of you are arms and some of you are ears. Some of you are feet, but we all need each other. But it's not just about each other and the whole body. It's also about you recognizing your gifts and your talents. And when it comes to who God has called you to be, you and I are, are people that we need to make good use of what he has given us in talents. Maybe we need to serve and be connected in the body of Christ. And it's really important that we do what God has called us to do with what he's given us. He's also given us a physical body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Here's that ownership language. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Say that last phrase with me. So you must honor God with your body. We're to honor God with our body. That means we have a responsibility to help this thing function as, as good as possible. And we need to put the right things in it. We need to take care of it. And we need to not have excuses. Come on, somebody. The third area is resources or treasure. Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, 
There the desires of your heart will be also, or also be. For you and I, we need to make sure that our treasure is where God wants it to be, okay? And we can have things, but do things have us? The money and the assets we have aren't ours. We're just stewards of what God gives us. And human nature forgets that God is the one who provides. The Old Testament name for God that provides is Jehovah Jireh. He's the one that provides. And we can slip back into all the pressure being on us. It's all on me, and I'm overwhelmed, and I can't handle this, and there's too many bills, and I don't have enough resources. And if we let it, it will overwhelm us. That's why God instituted the tithe in the the Bible, to help take the pressure off. Essentially, he said this, you give 10% to the Lord, and you won't have to worry about all that you have. But if you don't give the 10% to the Lord, then all the pressure is on you. Secondly, the consideration is this. When we have order, we have capacity and room for peace. When we have order, we have capacity and room for peace. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's a clear statement of a priority. The implication of this, by the way, is that if you don't seek him first, then the benefits of the kingdom are